The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. Man, I have been excited for tonight for a lot of reasons, but Psalm 23. Listen, if you're, if you're a Bible teacher, pastor, uh, you, you, sh- you love the word. If you can't get geeked out and excited about Psalm 23, you should find another job. You know, Psalm 23 is one of the most exciting, most encouraging, most blessed passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Daniel began uh, on looking at the first few verses, and so I thought I would come a couple weeks later and fix all his mistakes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we had already agreed that he was going to do the first half. I was going to look at the second half. And man, there is so much in it. If, if really, if we wanted to, we could spend weeks just simply looking at this favorite psalm of so many, many of you, myself. Well, pick up with me in verse one. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Some of you have NIV, New King James. Some of you ask, what version? So the English Standard Version, we read this. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray again real quick. Father, we thank you. Lord, we continue to pray in these services because we're continuing to acknowledge our need for you. And just as we've prayed previously, we pray right now as we come to a time of looking at your word. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak words of instruction, words of life, words of exhortation, words of comfort. May we know the voice of our shepherd tonight. Jesus, you said, my sheep will hear my voice. And so I pray tonight, we as your sheep would hear your voice as it's spoken to us through Psalm 23. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've been with us for the last several months on Wednesday nights, we've been looking through the Psalms, a series we've called Heart Cries. And as the world desperately is researching as they are studying, as they are hoping, as many are praying for a, a vaccination, for therapies, for cures. Listen, we have, as the children of God, a cure for us, a cure for the soul, Amen. for the things that vex us, the things that depress us, the things that cause us anxiety. We have a cure, and we find that cure in the, in the pages of Scripture, particularly in the book of Psalms. As we see real people with real emotions, highs and lows, figuring out what to do with them how to express them before God and to God and finding the healing, the answer, the comfort that their souls and our souls desperately need. And as I mentioned, coming tonight to perhaps one of the most precious, the most powerful, one of the most healing Psalms that we find in Scripture. Daniel did a great job. And I'm thankful to meditate and bring to you the second half. And it struck me the last couple of weeks as I've been praying and reading through and thinking about the second half in particular, 
because I think it's the second half of the psalm and what it teaches is why we love this so much. We love the first part. We love the whole psalm, but there's something particular that happens in the second half of the psalm, and it's quite different than the first half. But for those of us who have passed through the second part, and and inevitably every person will pass through the second part of the psalm, and it's in that time of our lives when we find the same shepherd that David experienced. When we read, when what we read here, we realize that's what I have felt when I've heard the voice of my shepherd, when I felt his correction and protection, when I've known that he's not just far off, but he's near. It's this part of the psalm that we'll look at tonight, why it is so precious. It's because of this part that David felt, which he experienced, what many of us have experienced. Now, commentators are a bit divided, though most agree. We're not sure when David wrote this psalm, but most generally agree that David was an elderly man at this point. We know that he was a a young boy in the fields. He was certainly a shepherd, but the things that he learned stayed with him through his life. And David writes this as an elderly man who had seen a lot of stuff, who had been through a lot of things, a lot of hard and difficult things. And what he realizes on the end of life, when he looks back through it all, the Lord is my shepherd, he says, that you have been with me. Your your goodness and mercy have always been there, even in the most difficult times, even in the times when I thought you were the farthest, you were actually the closest. And so he writes this from a bit of perspective. And some of you have that perspective. Some of you know, I've been in that dark valley and I've met the Lord. Some of you tonight are in that dark valley and God's going to meet you personally and powerfully. You're in that place or you you might be ready to go into that place. For you, it's been all nice green pastures, yay, still waters. But inevitably in all of our lives, eventually there comes these valley times. And it's in those times when we find a God who is so much better, whose goodness is so much greater than we could have ever possibly dreamed or imagined. At the end of David's life, as he writes this as an elderly man who had experienced so much, he he starts, and what Daniel talked about two weeks ago, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He could have used all kinds of metaphors. He's my king, he's my master, but he says, he's my shepherd. And he gives us that title, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. For those of us who know, when you see that in scripture, that means this is the personal name of God. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. The one who said light be and light was. The one who spans the universe in his hands. The all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent God is the one who cares for, watches over, provides, protects, and loves David, who loves you and me. So we're going to simply walk through these last three verses and make some application. And for some of you, most of us, like I've heard this, oh yeah, I know that, but let's pray, Holy Spirit, bring the things that we know deeper into our hearts. And for some, maybe some things we've never heard or considered before, may they come deeper into our experience. As I mentioned, the first three verses, they're beautiful. The first three verses are, are amazing. He leads us beside still waters. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. It's kind of like a Bob Ross painting, you know? Remember Bob Ross, the white guy with the afro, you know, on PBS? It's like, oh, it's so nice. You know, the first part is this really tranquil, peaceful. It's like nice, calming music. And then suddenly we come to the second half, and it's like the proverbial record scratching. For you millennials, there used to be these things called records. You could actually physically scratch, and they would be startling. The psalm is like, whoa, it just shifts. 
instantly it shifts from the sheep just, oh, eh, eating the grass and all the waters. It's so nice. Without a care in the world to all of a sudden, the sheep is passing through the valley of the shadow of death. And we think about this experience. It's not hard for us to imagine the sheep making its way through the, the cracks, the, the steep walls. And, and in the crack, there's all these different crevices and ravines, and there's dark shadows, and there's predators lurking all about. And, and the sheep doesn't really know what's going on. All it knows is it's following its shepherd. He really liked the green pasture. He really liked the quiet waters. But for whatever reason, the shepherd's leading him through this passageway, and it really has no idea. All he knows is like, what in the world the sheep feels the fear. He can feel the, 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 the glaring eyes of the wolves and the, and the different creatures that were looking at that lamb like it was a nice meal. David knows what that's like personally, to have all of a sudden a very nice experience. He's just chilling out. He's the hero of Israel. He's slaying Goliath. Oh, I'm going into the house of Saul. Where? Next thing you know, he's got a spear thrown at him. Instantly, abruptly, all of a sudden, he's living a life. He's on the run. And Man, countless times in David's life, he found himself at one moment, still waters, and the next moment in the dark valley, literally, for David, oftentimes in the shadow of death. And some of you know what that's life. Life is, life is great. Life's good. And all of a sudden, it's like, what? Out of nowhere, you're like, where are you, Lord? You see, the same David who writes this from the kind of end of his life with a lot of perspective, listen, he's the same David who in many other places writes things like, where are you, Lord? How long, O Lord? The very same David here, again, from perspective, is the same David who feels like we feel. God, you've abandoned me. How did I end up here? Did I do something wrong? Have I sinned? Do you not care? Why, why do the wicked prosper? I wonder if you know what that's like. Instantly, everything can be changed. It could be a diagnosis. It could be somebody who you thought was a trusted friend certainly suddenly betrays you. Somebody leaves, somebody departs. It could be, it could be any number of things. Gosh, right now in the last few months, name it. There's a list of things that have happened that, hey, life's great, 2020, woo, new decade, yeah. All of us cannot wait till 2020 passes away, you know? It's like, I think all of us, you know, experience a global valley of the shadow. It's like, what in the world? In the midst of this thing that we're all going through, you and I have our own particular valleys that God might be leading us through. Listen, the shepherd was the one who would bring the sheep through there. And the same shepherd who brought David by the still waters is the same shepherd that's leading him through the passageway of the valley of the shadow. Listen, it's the very same shepherd who said to the men on the, on the shores of Galilee, hey, men, we're going to cross over. And they had no idea what crossing over meant. They're like, oh, great, let's get in the boat. This will be nice. You know the story. All of a sudden, halfway through, the storm rages, and they're crying out, God, you're asleep. Jesus, wake up. Do something. Don't you care? And Jesus knew all along, when we're going over, he knew the storm was going to hit, but he sent his men right into the middle of the storm. He had a reason and a purpose. Was David afraid? Oh, you bet he was afraid. I'm sure there was countless times that David experienced fear. There's countless times when we are tempted and we experience fear. Why do I say that? Because David declares. What does he say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he declares something. He makes a choice. He states something. He says, I will not fear. Amen. Now, you do not state that unless you are feeling that, right? It's not like, I'm not afraid. I will not fear. It's like he's stating it because he had been tempted and had at one point experienced it. It's like Paul in the New Testament when he says, I will not be or I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why does he state that? Because there was a temptation to be ashamed. He told Timothy, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. 
Oftentimes, we, we have that temptation as believers. So Paul states that, he tells Timothy, you only state that because you're wrestling with that temptation. And so David comes out, and he's in the middle of it, and he, he makes this declaration, he says, I will not fear. Not just, you know, the power of positive thinking, I will not fear. He says, no, I will not fear for, there's a reason Amen. for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. He has legitimate reasons that allow him, through experience, that allow him to say and to state and declare, I will not fear. The metaphor is easy. Like I said, the valley presents all kinds of challenges, literal shadows for the sheep, cracks of light, predators all about. But listen here. The valleys were never meant to simply, you you didn't live in the valley, you didn't stay in the valley. They're, They're passageways. Valleys in our life represent passageways to, for us, unknown, but to the shepherd, greater blessing. The shepherd knows you can't stay here. If you stay in this place, you're just going to eat all of the grass, you lead everything up, and eventually you'll die. I love you so much. I know there's something greater for you over here. I'm going to bring you through this place. It's a passageway to something greater. Literally, for the sheep, I think we can all see that metaphorically how the Lord does that in our life. We'd be very content just to live a nice, quiet, still water. And the Lord's like, that's great. I have that for you. I make you lie down at times. But I also know if left to yourself, you're just going to stay there. And there's greater things. And the greater things lie on the other side. They, they lie through this passageway. So when you're in the valley, if you're in that valley right now, know this. It's a passageway to something greater. To something better on the other side. You're never meant to stay there. It's simply a, way, a means to get from one place to another. And oftentimes that's the, the way to go. And sometimes it's actually the shortcut. <laughs> sometimes the shepherd would actually take the passageway because it was a shorter, more direct route. And we go, well, let's go the long way around, you know. And we, sometimes we would like to take the long way. God says, nope, I'm going to take you. It might be a little, a little more trepidatious. It wouldn't be the path that you would choose, but I'm actually going to take you to a place that's so much better, a place of greater blessing. But listen, church, listen to somebody. You need to hear this tonight. The whole point is you're going to pass through. Like Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side. You're not meant. He doesn't bring you into the valley to say, good luck, kid. Hope you find your way out. (laughs) That's what it feels like sometimes. Lord, you brought me here. Now, where are you? And you're groping around. Maybe you feel that way. No, no, no. Listen, the whole point is you are meant to pass through. And oftentimes in those valleys, what happens is it has a way of making self decrease so that Jesus increases. In in the valley seasons, when you realize, oh my goodness, there's predators, there's all kinds of things that are beyond my control, my self-reliance fades away, and I very desperately am looking for and looking to the voice and the protection of my shepherd. And so we decrease oftentimes through those valley seasons so that Jesus can increase, so that our shepherd's voice can get louder, a place from self-reliance to a place of trust. So let me just say a couple of things of application. Number one, do not be shocked when you find yourself in the valley, the valley of the shadow. I think that's one of the biggest things sometimes as Christians we need to hear. We're just like, I can't believe I'm here. And I go like, why are you so shocked? The Bible says it over and over. And yet every time I experience, I can't believe I'm there again. So I want to say to you tonight, when you find yourself in this place, don't be shocked. Like, oh yeah, Jesus said, we're going to have tribulation. We're not yet in heaven. Heaven has not yet come to earth. The kingdom has not yet been established. There will continue to be conflict until that day comes. So it's a very simple point of application. But for some, I think the biggest, the biggest struggle is just the very fact that there's a struggle. <laughs> the struggle is going to come. So don't be shocked when you find yourself in the valley. But number two, you should look for and expect to find your shepherd in greater ways. 
Like I said, in those times, we're decreasing from self and self-reliance, but we should expect and look for the voice and the presence and the touch of our, our shepherd in a far greater way. That word shadow of death is one word in the Hebrew, and I'm going to do my best not to butcher it, but Salmaveth, and somebody who could speak Hebrew could say it a lot better than me, but simply means a death-like shadow or a deep shadow. The verse is not meant on a moratorium on God's presence when we face death, even though God is with us during that time. What it's speaking to us is, it's speaking to us of God's presence during the most difficult times of our life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've passed through those times. When you look back, you realize, no, God was there. God met me. I, I had a faith. It's kind of like Job. I, I'd heard about you before, and now I've seen you. Like Job literally passed through one of the most radical, deepest shadows. And the other says, I'd heard about you, but then I saw you. Then I met you. Then I heard you. Some of you, I can see the look on your face. There's a smile, literally. I can see your face. I wish you could see some of your faces right now because you know what I'm talking about because God has been with you like that before. You know the God that David knows, that David celebrates and sings about. In the middle of the pain, in the middle of the problems, there is the promise of God's presence and protection. David says, your rod and your staff, and some of you know this, the rod and staff are two instruments that the shepherds use, one to, to ward off the enemies and two to correct the sheep. And the whole point was when the sheep were going through the valley, the, the, the shepherd knows, hey, there's all kinds of predators. So he's ready to, 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 to send the, the, the predators off, and he attacks them as they come to defend the sheep, but he's also doing everything he can to keep the dumb sheep from wandering off. So he, the staff keeps them close. And the Lord does that at those times. He knows we're, we're tempted to freak out. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to protect. That stick, oh, that kind of hurts. No, no, that stick, you know, that correction is the Lord saying, no, you stay close to me. Don't wander off. Don't go your own way. No, no, we're going through a difficult time. You're passing through, but I need you to stay close to me. I, I want you to see something very powerful that happens. And if you're paying attention, you see it right there in the English in the pronouns. The pronouns change. Because the first few verses, David is saying, you know, in the second person, he's like, he, to you, or third person to second person. I didn't do very good in English. He goes from he to you. Do you notice? He leads me. He guides me. But all of a sudden, in the valley of the shadow, what does he say? You are with me. Do you see the image totally changes from, yeah, he's guiding me, I'm following, to all of a sudden, now in the valley of the shadow, it's like face to face. Do you see that? Do you feel that right now? I feel that. I don't know about you. It's like, <laughs> all of a sudden, it's a face-to-face. -face. It's like you. And that's what happens. That's the whole point of the valley of the shadow. It's to bring us into that place of intimacy where we go, yeah, I know the Lord, and he's my shepherd, and he's good, and you are good, and you are with me. It's the language of a face-to-face -face conversation. Do you, do you see? It's the language of intimacy. It's the language of relationship. David had known what it was like earlier in his life, but at those times of Saul or King Abimelech or Absalom, no, Lord, you, God, you are with me. This morning when I, I woke up, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this quote from a gal named Susie Silk, who I don't even know who she is, but she said this, and I was like, okay, Lord, you're speaking. She said this, the darkest and hardest seasons of our life are also the places where in the midst of the crucible, we experience the nearness of God. And that's what the valley of the shadow of death represents. And some of you know this to be true. You learn that there and there, particularly, the shepherd is good and he is always good. I've shared this before personally. I could share lots of different stories. But I remember when my dad passed suddenly, unexpectedly, 
totally healthy. He just got a phone call. He was gone, and it rocked my world. He was, he was way too young. And man, that, that valley of the shadow, though I wasn't passing through, it was passing over me, you know, just personally wrecked my world. And the Lord just showed up. He met me very personally, powerfully. I mean, dramatically, one of the most dramatic, powerful, personal encounters I've ever had with the Lord. And spoke peace like you cannot believe to a soul and to a heart that was filled with turmoil, who could not sleep and was just anxious and vexed. And all of a sudden, the Lord showed up and just spoke peace. And some of you know what that is like. And if not, some of you need to know. Listen, God wants you to know that tonight. The same spirit that filled Jesus is the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness and also strengthened them is the same spirit who at times will lead us not only to the green pastures, but also through the valley. But not only that, we continue on. It says this in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love this. So again, the whole imagery is one of conflict. It's one of turmoil. Valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by enemies. Physical and spiritual enemies will be the norm of our life till his kingdom is established. Again, don't be shocked. But, but, but listen, in the middle of whatever is attacking you, whether it's people, whether it's, you know, spiritual things going on in your life, you're in the middle of it. Listen, Jesus tells us, David experienced a table. In the middle of everything, all his enemies are all around and he comes across, here's a table. And it's set, and the plates are out, and the cup's there, and the meal is there. And he realizes this table, I didn't do anything to make this table. I, I don't know if I even asked for this table, but all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, there is a table that is laid out, and there's my shepherd on the other side, and he's telling me to sit. And he's saying, rest. And he's saying, eat. While there's enemies all around, listen, enemies will be there, and they can do nothing about it. And you can imagine, there's this scene, the enemies, it's like they're looking on and they're breathing threats. And, and David has got a conversation going with the shepherd and it's like, it doesn't even matter. And they're doing everything they can to try to bring fear and intimidation. And the enemy's trying to do everything he can right now to bring fear and intimidation. And the Lord's saying, I want you to sit. I've prepared a table. There's a table prepared. And a table represents a place like just that of rest. You didn't do anything. The Lord says, I have prepared it. And I want you to sit down. I, I want you to dine. I don't want you to, to stress, to fret, to worry about all the threats, whether they're literal people that you know. The Lord says, I will defend, I will fight. And listen, I think this represents, on one hand, there's moments in the battle where we, where we experience this. But I was thinking about this more and more. I think this is how the Lord would have us to be in this life, to live from a place where we're constantly living in this place where we're at his table, surrounded by enemies. That's how he would want you to live. Not just every so often I stop by the table, but to literally live from a place where you're always at the table. There's always enemies around, but you're always there in his presence. You're always enjoying the strength that comes from his presence. That's what the Lord has. We're going to sing a little bit later as we go into communion. This is how I fight my battles. You prepared a table. This is how we do life. How do you fight the battles? You let the Lord fight them and you worship and you sit at the table. So this metaphor kind of shifts a little bit too. And some of the commentators are a little bit divided. Is he continuing with this sheep-shepherd metaphor or is he shipping, you know, shifting to like a host and a dinner guest? And I think it's a bit of both because you can definitely see some imagery about anointing with oil because the shepherd would inspect the sheep and he would put oil on them and get the bugs and the parasites and heal the wounds. 
But also as a dinner guest, oftentimes when you were invited, the host of it would offer a bit of oil, you know, a perfume, a fragrance. You know, even out in the field, you maybe not smell so good. He's like, here, take a little oil. You know, smell a little good. You dab it on. You'd wash your hands. It was a way of fragrance. It was an offering made. It was a way to say, come and sit. And, and it's obvious that here's a table. The host has prepared this table and this imagery of a cup, a cup that's presented and a cup that is running over. And again, it's this whole idea of a meal being shared. In the Old Testament, as well as the New, we see, and some of you know, that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Kings were anointed. Saul got a little bit. David got the whole thing poured on him, kind of a picture of what the Spirit would do in his life. And this picture of the Holy Spirit given to us for protection, for provision, but for power. And we've been looking at this the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning in the book of Acts. The promise of the power of the Spirit of God in our lives, the power to keep going, the power to endure, to lead, the power to make wise decisions. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we just looked at this, but you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In the middle of you know, the presence of our enemies, in the middle of the battle, the promise of the Spirit in you and upon you. David says this, and it's actually one of my favorite things. When people ask me, how are you doing? I, I love to respond, and I'm not trying to be all christian spiritual, but I just love it. My cup runs over. That's the way I feel. So many times when I just think about my life and all that God's done, how are you doing? Man, my cup just runs over. You see, the metaphor is this. When you would go to a dinner guest or a guest you know, invite you to their place, you know, the, the customs there were one of hospitality. So depending on how long you were really allowed to stay was how much wine would be put in your cup. <laughs> if there was no wine put in your cup to begin with, it was kind of like, you can be here, but I don't really want you here. If a, if a little bit was poured in by, the, the, by you know, the, the owner of the house, it was like, all right, why don't you stay a little bit? You, you filled it to the top, okay. But if he kept pouring, you were allowed to keep staying. It was, it was, a, it was a way of saying, I want you here. And so when David says, my cup runs over, what, what he's saying is God just keeps pouring the cup. It, it, what David experienced was a God who doesn't say, I, 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 I'll tolerate you, fine. Fine, you can be here. Uh, you can stay here for a little while, then get back out and do your thing. No, what the, what the picture is, it's just he keeps pouring, and he just is like, you know what? I'm not going to just put the thing down. I'm just going to keep doing this. <laughs> and what he's saying is, David, I-, I want you here. I want you at this table. I want you with me. That's what God's saying to you. Some of you are afraid. I don't, you're always feeling reluctant. I don't know if God really wants me or not. No, listen, God's saying, I am pouring a cup. I want you to stay. I want you in my presence. He invites you to the table. Real intimacy. I was reading a great book recently by... Uh, a British pastor named Andrew Wilson. It was called Spirit and Sacrament. And it was, it was interesting. It was all about communion and also about the gifts of spirit and how they should both be in practice. And he talked a lot about communion in a way I hadn't really thought about. But he said a few things that had to do with the cup and particularly wine. Uh, he made this point, you know, curious that of all the miracles that Jesus could have performed first, we know his first miracle, his first sign was turning water into wine to manifest his glory. It's curious to say the least, and he goes on and I quote, much of our curiosity, he says, stems from the fact that we have lost the rich biblical symbolism of wine. It's not primarily that most Protestant churches now substitute grape juice for communion wine, which can be defended. He says whether or not we agree with it, but that in doing so, we do not recognize that we have lost anything. He says, ah, wine is just a red drink, right? Grape juice looks just like blood, just like a Merlot. What's the problem? 
He says, in the scriptural imagination, however, and particularly in the prophetic tradition, wine represents abundance, shalom, peace, hope. It represents new creation. A few verses that will come up behind me on the screen or there in your notes say this. It embodies blessing. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, Genesis 27, 28. It speaks of happiness, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart, Psalm 104, verse 15. It speaks of love. We will extol your love more than wine, Song of Solomon 1.4 says, and bounty. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, Proverbs 3.10 and many others. Again, the imagery is this. It's not advocating one way or the other to go drink wine or not. What I'm saying is the biblical imagery is one of joy, one of presence, one of rest. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes we can lose that. And David said, no, I understand. That's what God thinks. That's what God wants. He just keeps pouring my cup and it's just running over. How are you doing tonight? Can you say my cup is just running over? If not, that's what God wants you to think. That's what God wants you to know. That's what God wants you to experience. Again, rest. If somebody prepares a table for you, you're not supposed to do anything but simply enjoy it, right? Nobody, nobody wants you to, to invite you over and for you to do all the dishes and do everything. No, they're like, I love you. I want you over. Just sit and enjoy the meal. Some of you are like that. You come over and you're like, you feel like you got to do the dishes. And you're like, no, I, it's like you're like a little bit of Martha. Like, no, I got to help. Like, no, just, just chill out. God said, just rest and enjoy. Again, it speaks to us of joy. Rest comes from trust and joy that over a good meal, what happens over a good meal? There's laughter. There's, there's, there's communion in the fullest sense of the word. There's joy and peace. There's a full belly. There's jokes. There's, there's stories swapped. There's listening. There's, it's a back and forth taking place. There's no worry about tomorrow. You're surrounded by enemies, but in that moment, there's a meal. It's like, I'm not worried about that. I, I'm enjoying a meal. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to enjoy this moment that has been prepared for me right here. So guys, listen, as we pass through problems, pain, and persecution, there is something greater. There's a promise there's a promise of his presence. He'll, he's with you through the valley. There's a table prepared for you. And finally, we'll close with this. And it says this, verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, verse six is, again, it's, it's a declaration. It's a statement. It's not, surely, it's not wishful thinking. It's emphatic. He's going, certainly, this will happen. And what is he saying? What's the experience? When he looks over his life, he, he realizes through everything he's been through, through the green pastures and through the valleys, through enemies all around, what has he found? What has he discovered? Through it all, God's goodness and mercy have followed. Now, when we say that word follow, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of been around. It's kind of followed me like a dog follows you. The, the word in Hebrew is much more powerful. It's much more descriptive. It's the word redap. And the message translations and some of the other translations, surely goodness and mercy chase. In fact, it's used other places of like a, a predator chasing after its prey. So the imagery is this of like a lion chasing after. What, what is David saying? Like, I'm a sheep and the lion is you, God. And what's chasing after me is actually your goodness and mercy. Guys, that's amazing. His goodness and mercy, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, if you are one of his sheep, his goodness and mercy is, it's not like way behind and kind of trying to catch up. It's literally chasing after you wherever you go. I thought about that today and I was just like overwhelmed. You know, do you ever get, anybody get the Holy Spirit goosebumps sometimes? Just like, 
man, you just know, like, that's the Lord. I was just thinking, Lord, just thinking of some events in my life and the good and the bad, like, through it all, God, your goodness, your mercy, that Hebrew word is chesed, it means his loving kindness, his faithful love, his steadfast love. It's chasing after you. It's chasing after me. For those who are his sheep, for those who say, like David, the Lord is my shepherd, that love is coming after. It's coming after you. And there's nowhere you can run. He's the hunter. He's the, like the others have said, the hound of heaven is constantly coming after you. And, and I wonder tonight, as we close, do you have this kind of history with God? Do you know the shepherd like David knows the shepherd? Jesus said this in John chapter 10, 27 through 30, my sheep listen or hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Do you see the image? He says, no one can take them out of my hand and no one can take them out of my father's hand. What's the image? To me, that's pretty secure. That's the image. You're a sheep. You hear his voice. He says, I, I've got you. My father's got you. Man, there, there's no predator. There's no enemy. There's a table. It's in there. <laughs> it's prepared inside there. Your cup's running over. Enjoy it. Don't worry about the enemies. Don't freak out. Don't obsess. There's security. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never leave you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe for some of you, man, life's good. Green pastures. I don't know who you are. I'd like to talk to you afterward. You know? But maybe that's where you're at. You're in the still waters. Life's nice. It's just great. For some of you, man, you're like, I am in the valley of the shadow. I am surrounded by enemies. Tonight, the Lord would say, go from he to you. <laughs> He's my shepherd to you are with me. Look for the rod and the staff. Look for his presence. Listen for his voice. Expect his presence because he's right there. In those times, the shepherd, back then and to this day, physically, the shepherd would get closer to the sheep. The shepherd is drawing closer to you during these times. Expect and look for him. Feel his comfort. Feel his strength. Experience his presence. Listen, Jesus is the guide, the only guide who promises to go with us every step of the way. There's a lot of false shepherds out there. But listen, when it comes to that final valley, that should the Lord tarry, all of us will inevitably cross. All the other shepherds, they'll, they'll leave you. They'll bail. They will not go with you. Jesus is the only shepherd who promises to go with you all the way. All the way. In that final passageway that leads us to a far greater place, he's the shepherd that will never leave and never forsake. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.